The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. In the, in the Holy Bible, there are, are many genres, many categories and styles of literature, including fictional and non-fictional stories, stories that are about imaginary events and stories that are about real events and real people. Both are intended to prove a point to suggest a, a moral, moral, a godly principle of right and wrong, of divine truth. And we see that throughout Holy Scripture. In the New Testament, we see it also. Jesus himself used parables to prove his point, to, to further his point, to, to further his point to those who have been chosen to understand it. Well, one of those stories is found in the Old Testament book of Job. Indeed, it is hard to determine whether this book is fictional or non-fictional. Now, no, when, it, when it's fictional, it is, it is make-believe. It is a make-believe. It didn't really happen. Or non-fictional, which is true events about a story about somebody's life. Now, Either way, in, in Holy Scripture, that, that's a part of Holy Scripture, and it is intended to prove a point. It is intended to give us God's truth. It is intended to give us foundational doctrine. So either way, anytime we look at anything in, in the Holy Bible, we're looking at God's Word, God's divine Word. Now, one of the things about the story of Job or the book of Job is when was it written? And it's, that's really undetermined. Uh, since there are some theologians that believe that Moses penned, penned it. Moses wrote it. Others believe that Solomon wrote it. Now, if Moses wrote it, he wrote it back in 1400 B.C., before Christ, before the birth of Christ. If Solomon wrote it, it was something like 900 B.C. before the birth of Christ. But see, there are other scholars who believe that the book of Job existed even some 400 years before Moses wrote Genesis. Interesting. Very interesting. But the reason I tell you that is because the concepts and the biblical, the, the, the biblical doctrines that are written in Job and throughout Holy Scripture have been around. They, they started from the beginning and they've been around into New Testament times. And they're cleared up for us in New Testament times. We have a better understanding of what was going on. In our text today, Job, the, the book of Job begins in heaven. Just to give you some background before we get into our text, this book begins in heaven. 
where Satan and the other angels of God stand before the Lord God Almighty. And the Lord questions Satan, asking him, where have you come? Where have you come from? And Satan answers the Lord, saying, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down, up and down the earth. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant, servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. That is true righteousness. Ah, but Satan says to the Lord, the reason that Job is so righteous and blameless is because you have placed a, a, a hedge around him. You have placed a hedge around him, protecting him from everything. You have abundantly blessed him. Ah, but if you remove that hedge, Job would curse you like everyone else. So the Lord tells Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand only against him. Do not stretch out. Uh, all that you have is in your hand, but against him, do not stretch out your hand. In other words, against him, do not kill him but you can have access to everything else that belongs to him. So Satan went out of the presence of God and goes down. Now, when we get there, we get there that everything that happens in this world, everything that happens in your life that is evil has to be allowed by God. God has to allow bad things to happen to us. He is not the author of sin. He is not the creator of evil. But nothing can take place in our lives, in the life of Job, without God allowing it to happen. The Lord gives Satan permission to attack Job. And what does Satan do? He, Job uses earthly means to attack Satan. You would think that in these fairy tale. Uh, stories that we see that the, the devil himself would attack them, but but Job uses earthly means. He uses armies. He uses people. He uses weather. He uses the climate. He uses everything to attack Job, and he takes away all of his possessions. Everything that he owned is taken and destroyed. His family is also taken away. His family is killed. But Satan was not allowed to touch Job. He was not allowed to touch him physically. And in all this, what does Job do? What would you do? Think about what is going on. You, Job was probably the richest man on the planet. He was the most righteous man on the planet, but he was also the richest man on the planet. He has been blessed. He was blessed abundantly by God. Not just with uh, possessions, not just with physical possessions, but with family possessions, with family, with loved ones. And now they're all taken away from him. Everything is taken away from him. What would you do? What would you do? 
But what, what did Job do? Job does not curse God. In fact, Job, uh, Job proclaims God. So there was another time when the angels of God, including Satan, got, appears before the Lord again. And God asked Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And this time Satan says what? He says skin, skin for skin, skin for skin. Doesn't that sound very strange? Skin for skin. He's saying, because you didn't let me touch him physically, he didn't curse you. And he was about to curse you when I took, when everything else was taken away, but because you didn't allow me to touch him physically, he didn't curse you. So God allows Job to, uh, God allows Satan to attack Job again. This time he could touch, he could touch him physically, physically, but he could not kill Job. He was not allowed to kill Job. Behold, he is in your hands, but spare his life. So Satan goes out of the presence of the Lord and strikes Job with grotesque sores. From the soles of his feet, as we're told, to the top, the crown of his head, he was covered in, salt, in, 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 in sores. It, it even tells us that Job took piece, a piece of pottery and scraped the sores of his body just to try to get some relief on how bad he was, how bad he was feeling, how bad he had been attacked viciously by, by whatever disease was attacking him or diseases, whatever illnesses. He stayed scratching himself with a piece of pottery and with ash thrown, uh, with ash all over him. Now, people would do that when they were, when, when they were convicted of their lives, when they were calling out to God, they would throw ash upon them themselves. And that's what Job was doing. Look, Job's quality of life and quality of living was in such despair that his wife scolded him and told him to curse God and die. Now, we sometimes get uh, counseling like that. So we, we're sometimes told by people that are not godly to curse God and die for all the things that you're going through, all the, the, the heartaches that you're going through, all the suffering that you're going through. Don't you just sometimes want to just curse God and just die and get it over with? And that came from his very wife who told him that. His friends came to surround him while he was seated in, in ash and, and, and scratching himself with a piece of pottery all over his, his whole body. And they were trying to understand. They were trying to figure out, what did Job do? What did you do that was so evil that God has cursed you so much? What did you do? What did you do, Job? Well, was, naturally, Job was on the defensive. He said, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything that caused this. I didn't do anything that caused to cause this uh, catastrophe. Now, there are times in our lives when we go through seasons of where we're going through a catastrophe and we're wondering why. Why are we suffering so? 
What do we do to cause such viciousness upon our lives? That's where this passage takes place. That's what's going on when our passage starts. Again, we are told that Job is the most righteous man on the planet, on earth. God even says that he is blameless and upright. He fears God and turns away from evil. He repents. He lives a repentant life. He's always doing sacrifices. Back then, there were animal sacrifices for himself and his family in case they sinned. The most righteous man on the planet, according even to God. Now, here's what's stunning for us, okay? Remember when Job took place? This is pre-crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Post-crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, we are told that we can receive the righteousness of Christ by receiving him as our Lord and Savior. By receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we can be the most righteous person on earth. In fact, we are so righteous. We are, we, we are, we are proclaimed so righteous by God that we can enter the kingdom of God. And that causes us to live this repentant life. That's the situation that's going on. That's the situation that Job finds himself in. But we are living post-crucifixion and resurrection. We get the, we have the insight. We have the big story. Job does not know what's going on. He doesn't understand what's happening to him. That begs the question, the big question, even for us who are righteous, who are have been declared righteous. Here's the question for all of us, including Job. Why do the righteous suffer? Why do the righteous suffer? That's the question that Job was pondering. That's the question that many of us ponder. And today on the second Sunday of Lent, of this Lenten season, we are starting a short sermon series on the resurrection, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead, for uh, thereby he is vindicated on everything he said when he lived. Everything that Jesus said because of the resurrection has been vindicated. It has been held truth, God's truth. And it also confirms by his resurrection that he is the Son of God. And so we declare, and so we believe. See, that's the theme of the, of the resurrection. That's the concept of the resurrection. And that theme, the resurrection, has existed even back in the time of Job and throughout biblical history. It is mentioned throughout the New and the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it's interesting because it's mentioned many times. I'll give you just some quick examples of what it, what, what it, uh, the, the times it talks about the resurrection and the concept, the theme of the resurrection. In uh, Zechariah 37, it talks about the vision of the valley of the dry bones in which the prophet sees the bones come back to life and become a living army, a living army of God. Uh, in Psalm 16, 
it talks about and it says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole body be uh, my whole body being rejoiced. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul in Sheol or let my holy one see corruption. And also in Daniel, another place that talks about the resurrection. Daniel chapter 12 says this. It says, many of those who, many of those whose body lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Paul picks up that theme in the New Testament. There are others. But now let's take a look at this passage, this, the theme in our text, and what Job, and what's going on to Job. As Job sits in misery, Job is contemplating, he is struggling with three questions. And they're found in chapter 14 of this book. Job's first question is, who can bring pure uh, who can bring purification to the impure the second question is when a person dies and breathes his or her last and lays prostrate in the grave where is this person and the third question he's pondering is if a person dies shall he or she live again those are great questions. In fact, in, in a Bible study we had, uh, I had last week with uh, teenagers, teenage Bible study, the question they came up with, what happens to us when we die? What happens to us when we die? Job asked that question. They, everybody will ask that question at one point or another. It's interesting that a, a teenager, a young teenager would ask that question. These are the questions that are being addressed in our text. The Redeemer, the, the, it talks about, our text talks about the Redeemer, it talks about the resurrection, and it also talks about final judgment. In the New Testament, all three of those questions that Job has are answered. They're answered in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has not walked this earth yet. Job is pondering these questions, great questions for us to ponder as well. The problem for Job is that he lived before the birth of Christ, centuries and centuries before the birth of Christ. So the biblical doctrine and, and the full revelation of God's truth had not been revealed as of yet. But when we read this text, there's indication that he knew or they, the, that, that the people knew about resurrection and the Redeemer, and we're going to get into that briefly. We're going to get into what Job's questions are. Now, according to, as we look at our passage, and we read it, we immediately think resurrection. We immediately think of uh, uh, the Redeemer, and we think God. And we, uh, and we immediately think of judgment, because he talks about the sword. But see, those are New Testament concepts. And in good biblical hermeneutics, now hermeneutics, hermeneutics is, is just the study of the principles of interpreting the Bible. Hermeneutics, people study that. The people that are theologians, they, they get into the depth of, of, the, of the doctrines. And what good her, uh, um, hermeneutics would tell us is that we cannot 
look at this passage and interpret it the way we would today because the people back then and the author back then would not have interpreted it that way. Like we cannot interpret it. They look at this passage and interpret, hey, God the Redeemer, hey, resurrection of Jesus and our, and our resurrection, a judgment, God's final judgment. You know, in, in New Testament, in our New Testament mentality, that's not the way the original author was thinking because he was, it didn't have the benefit of the Bible the way we do, the New Testament the way we do. So we have to try to understand what Job is talking about. Even though for us, it seems very clear that he's talking about the resurrection, the Redeemer, and judgment. So when we look at this, he talks about that his Redeemer lives. Now, there is a concept in the Old Testament that, that, that's a law, a Jewish law, of the kins, kinsman redeemer, the kinsman redeemer. Now, the kinsman redeemer, again, is an Old Testament Jewish law where, the, where, where a male relative is, and, I'll, and, 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 I'm, and I'm telling you this for a reason, because there's a bigger story here. But in the Old Testament, there, the, the, the kinsman redeemer was a male relative that had the right and responsibility to act on behalf of a family member in certain situations to redeem that member the, or a relative who had fallen into poverty or debt or to marry a widow of a deceased family member that he would be considered, the book of Ruth talks about it, he would be considered a kinsman redeemer. Now understand that in the Bible, when we read it, we're reading it with Western eyes, but it's written, it's written from what Middle, Middle, East, Middle Eastern eyes. In other words, when they talk about a family, they're really talking about a tribe. A tribe. Okay, so what is a tribe? Well, a tribe is a family unit that's extended, that's extended, that's extended. It could, it could involve hundreds of people. It, it, and eventually it's referred to as a tribe. Well, Job is the head of this tribe. He's the holy, I mean, he's the most righteous man there is. There is none righteous, more righteous than he is. See, that's what's puzzling. If there are no more, no one else on the planet that's more righteous than Job, then who is his kinsman redeemer? Now, he could be somebody else's kinsman redeemer and down the line. But what's he talking about when he says redeemer? Now, in the Old Testament, people that would read that, it would say, well, he's talking about his kinsman redeemer. But who is that? Because he is the most righteous person on the planet. So now we start thinking the only one he could be talking about is the Lord God Almighty. The Lord God Almighty himself is his kinsman redeemer because he is the head of the family he is the head of the tribe and there's no there is none more righteous than him but still again he cries out my redeemer lives now remember where he's at in the bottom of the bottom the bottom of the ocean so to speak that everything has collapsed the only place he's got to look is up because he is so low. And he cries out, my Redeemer 
lives. Those are words that we have to live by, especially when we're going through a difficult time, especially when times are rough and we're suffering and not understanding why we're suffering. And even if we know why we're suffering, even if we're the cause of the problem, we can still cry out, our my Redeemer lives. And that's what Job does. He cries that out, meaning that his Redeemer is something different, okay? Because he makes this, he makes this incredible statement. In, in verse 25, he says, he says, his Redeemer will stand upon the earth. That statement would indicate that his Redeemer would be human, human. And again, we go back to, well, who else could it be? Because there was none more righteous than him. We would look at that and we would say, Rightly so, that his Redeemer was human and is human. He is the God-man, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He came down from heaven. He was incarnate into a, 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 a human being. And he lived his perfect life and laid his life down. We would say that his Redeemer and our Redeemer is Jesus, and we would be right to do that. We would be right in saying so, even though... Biblical scholars say, we disagree with you. We're just reading the text. We're just trying to, we're, we're trying to understand the text better, and there's no way to understand this text in Old Testament uh, theology that we're aware of that to bring the New Testament and to try to explain it. In verse 26, G, uh, Job talks about dying. He talks about dying, and, and in this different state of being, he talks about going back to the dust, but he says then, in yet in my flesh, his eyes will see God. His eyes will see God. And, and that is reference to the resurrection. Not Christ's resurrection, our resurrection. See, the, the Old Testament Jews believed that they would be resurrected at the end of time. They would all rise up physically. The dead would rise from the dead, would be raised from the dead. And they believed that everything that would happen at one time, that everyone would rise from the dead. When Jesus came, when he rose from the dead, it threw them off. It just, it, it redeemed what they believed, but not the way that they believed it. And so when we read it, we read, we can see that he is talking about his resurrection from the dead to be able to stand before God, to see God with his eyes. You see, if we were to look upon God, if we were to stand before God today, right now, at this moment, we would die because, we are, because we're not holy enough, so to speak. And he is. But in the final resurrection, after we die, and are raised again, we will be able to see God with our eyes. See, that was what we talked about in the Bible study when they asked the question, what happens? And Job touches on it. What happens when we die? Well, according to Holy Scripture, when we die, for those who are in Christ, they go to this, this they go to Sheol, Sheol, they go to this state, this, this place where the Lord is. 
See, when we die, our physical body dies. Our body goes back to be dust where it came from. But our souls will live for the rest of eternity. Everyone's souls will live for the rest of eternity. But when those who belong to the Lord die, they will immediately go to be with the Lord. They will be soul. They will be a soul, a spirit, so to speak. They will not be human anymore because they don't have a body. And that's what makes us human. So we, they, if we are in Christ, you go to be with the Lord. If you're not in Christ, if you're not with God, you, you go somewhere else. Call it hell, call it something else. Not the final death, but you go to be somewhere else. And so Job's talking about he was going, he's going to be able to see him, yet in his flesh I will be able to see him with my eyes. That is resurrection. That is our resurrection. And he's pointing to that time. And in verse 26, again, Job talks about dying and dying and, and seeing God in the flesh. And, and although he doesn't totally understand the the God is being his king, his kinsman, uh, redeemer. It certainly seems like he does. It certainly seems like the, the words that Job is speaking is prophetic. Those words are prophetic. They're prophecy, especially as it refers to his redeemer. He also refers to the final resurrection from the dead, and he refers to judgment. He refers to fearing the sword of final judgment, the sword of God's wrath will fall upon those who are not in Christ. When we see what Job is doing, it is easy for us to see that Job is prophetic. He's saying something that's prophetic. It means something to the people of his time, but it also means something for those in coming generations. It means something to us today. So when we glean, when we look at Job, what do we need to hear? What do we need to understand? Well, what the, the critical issue of our passage is this, that despite all the dire circumstances that are going on in our lives, we are called to trust God. We are called to trust the Lord God Almighty, our Redeemer, who lives and who has, will, who has, is, and will vindicate, save us. It's that saying, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. When you suffer, when we suffer, it is because there's a cosmic conflict going on behind the scenes. Things that you don't know about are taking place in our lives, in your life. And sometimes we don't even suspect it. Listen, it is clear from the book of Job that demonic forces are at work behind everything that is evil going on in this world and going on in your life, in my life, in our lives. Demonic forces impact the world, through violence, through wars, demonic forces impact the weather, demonic forces impact diseases and illnesses, we clearly see in Job. 
In fact, I mean, it, it couldn't be more evident for us today. We were told that COVID was probably is a manufactured virus uh, that's a part of germ or chemical warfare. There's battles, and Paul talks about it in in, in Ephesians. He, he says we're battling spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. See, like when I was an adult, I, I thought I was a cop. I grew up being a cop. And, and, and I thought my enemy was right there. I could see him or her, and I could get ready, and I could have an extra gun and put my vest on, and you know, I could get ready for the enemy. Well, that's easy. First of all, that is the enemy. But there are demonic forces at work going on in that person. But there are other demonic forces at work in the world that we don't, we, we can't even see. We, we're not even suspecting that are attacking us, even at this moment. That's why we walk with the Lord. That's why we could cry out, our Redeemer lives. And even if we are going through a crisis, and even if we are struggling through a hardship in our lives and we feel and everybody's looking at us that we are the one to blame and we're telling them no, or maybe it is, or maybe it's not, I don't know. We will be vindicated. Maybe in this life, but for sure the next. When we die, when we are raised from the dead and go to be with the Lord, we will be vindicated because God has saved us, is saving us, and will save us. So if you're in Christ, there may be times when you wonder why God allows wickedness to happen in your family, why God allowed evil to attack you, God forbid that you would question God's goodness and wisdom. God forbid. We don't have the full story. We don't have the big picture. That's why we're called in this book to trust God, to trust the Lord God, even when we don't know and don't understand and cannot comprehend the pain. The story, the, the book of Job ends. When it ends, Job is at the point of wanting to know why this is happening. I didn't do anything. Why are you putting me through this? He dares question God. And although he may have been the most righteous man on earth, he is committing sin there, as we would commit sin. God responds. But not to Job, but not the way you think he would respond to Job. God appears in a whirlwind, and he realizes who this is, who is just coming. He is just coming to the presence of divineness, and it speaks about. It doesn't answer his question as to why, but it speaks about I am God. Who are you? Where were you when I spoke the universe into existence? Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the planets? Where were you? 
Because if you were there, then I need to answer to you, but you weren't there. When Job feels the presence of the Lord, you know what he does? He repents like we would repent. And he says, I will over my mouth and say no more, but glorify you, repent and glorify you in trying to understand that you love me, that you have died for me, to try to, uh, to, to try and know that I am called to trust you and I need grace to do it. I need your grace to do it. God loves us so much that he gives us that grace. See, Job's answer, the answer to Job's questions is Christ. Christ. His, all his questions were answered, are answered in Jesus Christ. That's who our answer is. Jesus Christ is your answer. He is my answer. He's our answer to everything, to everything. So when we celebrate this season of Lent, we reflect on what Christ accomplished for us in his death and resurrection. On Easter Sunday, we gather together to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is who it's all about. He is the answer to the questions you have. He is the love that you have been searching for. Now, if you're not in Christ, you need to know that there will be final judgment and you will die. You see, the root of the entire matter is found in God himself. God will judge. We need to fear. If you're not in Christ, you need to fear the sword, the sword of the wrath of God, because he will punish evil. My dear friends who are not in Christ, there's still hope. You're still breathing. There's still time to turn away from your sins, to repent of your sins. That's what Jesus says. Jesus calls us to repent of our sins, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe in the gospel message and come to Christ to live. Let us pray together. Oh, gracious Father, we thank you for your divine word. You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at stephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching his word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.